Good morning yet again. Uh, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Galatians. Did I just throw you off a little bit? Galatians chapter 5. We're going to get to Proverbs. That's where we're going to be camping out for most of our time. But I have referred Galatians chapter 5. Did I say Galatians chapter 5 or did I just say Galatians? Galatians 5. Um, we have, I have referred to this passage over the past few weeks because in it Paul refers to the fruit of the Spirit and that has been the basis. We've taken this list that Paul gave in Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit and we're taking that back into the book of Proverbs and learning what we can about each of those fruits from the teaching of the book of Proverbs. But I, I did think it would be helpful at least once in this series, maybe I'll do it again at another point, but I thought it would be helpful for us to get this list of the fruit of the Spirit in the context of Galatians chapter 5, and I thought it might especially help us as we focus on the particular fruit that we will be looking at this morning, and that is the fruit of patience. So uh, hear God's word this morning uh, as I read Galatians 5. I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time. We thank you for your spirit who dwells among us, who is the one who gives us life. If we live, we live by the spirit. There's no spiritual pulse in this room apart from the working of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for him. We pray that he would be active among us in this time as we look to your word. We pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. 
We trust that your word is truth, and so we pray that you would continue your good work in us, and that you would maybe even be pleased this morning to begin that good work in the hearts of some, that your spirit would grant life to some who are even now spiritually dead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you want? I mean spiritually speaking. You could answer that question a lot of different ways, but spiritually speaking, when you think of your spiritual health, when you think of your spiritual growth, what do you want? What do you feel yourself to be lacking? What do you need? If, if a diagnosis, if a, if a spiritual physician, a soul physician could uh, give you a, a diagnosis and an assessment of your spiritual condition and the report came back and spelled out for you what it is that you lack, what would that report say? Whatever the report would say, whatever it is that may ail you spiritually as you arrive at this gathering today, I believe the doctor's prescription for you is the Lord Jesus. And I don't want, I don't want to say that tritely. Uh, maybe there's some risk of oversimplification in putting it that way, but it really is true. What you need today, what I need today is Jesus. A, a whole lot of Jesus. The whole Jesus. Not a, not a half Jesus, but the whole Jesus for our whole need. Not just a Jesus who forgives us and then leaves us as we are. We, we gather this morning to worship the Lord Jesus because Jesus forgives us, praise God for that, and then Jesus gets to work changing us. He does both of those things, and we really wouldn't want it any other way, would we? I mean, does any of you here really want to just stay where you are and not change? The grace of the Lord Jesus creates people who are both forgiven and increasingly obedient to him. He's been creating people like that for about 2,000 years now. He's really good at it. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it is possible. It is not only possible, it is actually inevitable if you are a child of God. He who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion unto the day of Christ. It is going to be painful. I don't want to mislead you about it. Paul there in Galatians 5 says it's going to feel like warfare. It's going to feel like crucifixion. But he's going to do it. He's going to continue it on with each and every one of his saints. And what he's changing his people into, what he's doing is he's making us little representations of Jesus himself. He's conforming us to the likeness of his son. And what that means, at least one way we could think about what that means, is it means a life full of love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Because all of those wonderful qualities come together beautifully and perfectly in our Lord Jesus. And so that's what he's changing us into. 
Out there in the world, we find a whole lot of predatory behavior. And I'm t- when I say predatory behavior, I'm talking about the kinds of words in the context in which the fruit of the Spirit is found there. Biting, devouring, consuming, provoking, envying, conceit. There's a whole lot of that out there. But the Spirit of God, right, if we live by the Spirit, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is doing something new and beautiful in His people. He's cleansing us of all that filth, and He's working in us a beautiful newness by His Spirit, producing in us, cultivating in us the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we've been trying to learn from the book of Proverbs about as we're taking each of those fruits and considering it. And this morning in our study, we come to the beauty of patience. And it's, it really would, where it is evident, where it is visible, where it is growing, patience is really going to sparkle in a world like ours, a very hurried world. Now, maybe you saw that title in the bulletin there, Patience in a Hurried World. And when I say that, I I don't mean primarily, I know this is true, but I'm not talking really with reference to uh, the haste with which we want to get to where we're going in the car that tempts us to break the speed limit. Uh, I'm not talking about the need that we feel to have something in our possession now and then expect that in six hours it's going to be on your doorstep from Amazon. I don't mean the irritation that you feel when the web browser on your phone has that little spinny circly thing and it's not loading for like three seconds. And you're like, what's going on with my phone? I don't mean all of that. Uh, the Bible has something to say to all of that, but I'm, when I say patience in a hurried world, I'm not mainly thinking about that. I don't think that's what God's word, I don't think that's what Galatians 5 is thinking about when it uses that word, patience. I believe what it has to do, and this is why I wanted you to see some of the context there, I believe it has to do with the haste we have in judging and condemning. The biting and the devouring and the consuming that we do to each other. Patience is a fruit that is glaringly absent in our culture. And sadly, it is often lacking in our churches. And that's really lamentable. Because of all people in the world who should know better, we who are the people of God have the spiritual resources, we should know better, and we have the spiritual resources to live more wisely, to walk in that beautiful fruit of patience. With one another. And I hope you'll see that this morning as we think about that sweet fruit of patience and as we do it in the book of Proverbs. So now you could turn back, you could go to the book of Proverbs. We'll start in Proverbs 14, 29, though I will be jumping around uh, to many different Proverbs. And if you are, if you're a note taker and you've been trying maybe over the past few weeks to scribble every single reference to Proverbs, I want to free you of that burden. I'm happy after the service. If you just come to me after the service and let me know that you want it, I can send you the notes with all of the references in Proverbs. So you don't have to scribble everyone down. You're free to just listen. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you as you hear God's word. Uh, I'm happy to do that. But we're going to start in Proverbs 14, 29, which says this. 
Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Two observations to draw your attention to from that passage. Again, we will draw in many others to fill out our understanding. But two observations, two points for you this morning. Point number one, the folly of a hasty temper. Point number two, the wisdom of a patient spirit. These are not very creative. You don't want me to be up here and be creative with God's word. You want me to just tell you what it says. I hope that's what you want. So I hope this is conveying the point of the passage. Point number one, the folly of a hasty temper. Point number two, the wisdom of a patient spirit. That's what we learn from the second half of Proverbs 14, 29. There is folly in the hasty temper. That's not the only place that we read about this in the book of Proverbs. If you were right there in chapter 14, you could just look up at verse 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So you can see by what it's contrasted with that this haste, this hurry that we have in view here is the issue of anger. And immediately when I start to talk about anger, I I have to give the obligatory, I don't have to, but I'm going to give the obligatory qualification that not all anger is wrong. Uh, in, In fact, I believe it can be said that the more holy we become, the more conformed to the likeness of Jesus we are, the angrier we should be getting at real evil. Anger is a a judging emotion or attitude or conviction. Anger recognizes that something is wrong. Now that faculty might be off, so we may misjudge and we may perceive something to be a wrong that isn't really a wrong, but anger is a response to something that we think is wrong and it's our active opposition and stance against something that we perceive either rightly or wrongly as wrong. And there is a lot of wrong in the world. So as you're hearing what I'm about to say over the next few minutes, if there are little, uh, but what about dot, 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 popping up in your mind? If you're thinking about some particular incident of yours that I'm not addressing the way you think, I'm happy you should bring that what about to somebody. Another trusted brother or sister, I'd be happy to talk with you after the service. I'm not saying everything, I I can't uniquely tailor this particular word for all 170 of you or however many of it is. But what we do see in Proverbs, and it's corroborated many other places in God's word, is that this, this anger issue in our hearts often goes astray. Wisdom, wisdom brings this judging emotion itself under judgment. But foolish people unleash it without filtering it, and in doing so, they exalt folly. And the book of Proverbs says, actually, that they do great damage in many other ways. Anger is like a gateway sin that leads to much other sin. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath 
stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Anger gives rise to hatred and resentment and control. Anger gives rise to divorce or adultery or other forms of sexual immorality or slander or gossip or disunity. And we could think of a hundred other sins that are the fruit of this sin, anger. The one given to anger causes much transgression, not only in himself, but actually also at times in other people. Anger is overwhelming. It, it, it's consuming. Uh, Proverbs 27.4, wrath is cruel, we're told, and anger is overwhelming. The, the Hebrew word there for overwhelming is, is related to something like a flash flood or a torrent. Anger is like a, a tsunami that just overwhelms a situation. Sometimes we, we talk about a situation, maybe we've observed it, maybe we've been in a situation where things have gotten a little bit heated, and we say something like, the situation kind of escalated. The situation did not escalate. The people escalated. Because the people have, because anger is overwhelming. Anger is like a flood that consumes and it, it isolates and it has the potential to destroy relationships. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. In other, I, I think the point of that proverb, that's a difficult proverb to understand. I read a lot about it, but a, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. I think that's an, an admonition to the aggressor. Hey, think before you offend somebody because when you give vent to your anger, you may be doing, you may be erecting a barrier in that relationship that is practically impossible to remove once it is erected. Now, by the spirit of God and by the grace of God, anything is possible, but it's just saying when you give vent to anger and you offend, it's hard to repair the damage that is done. And all this is so serious that the Lord warns his people not to get deeply invested in relationship with one who is given to anger. Proverbs 22, verse 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. This is what Proverbs is teaching us about anger. Now, who would want to celebrate that? Who would want to exalt that? Are you an angry person? That's all fine to just talk about it out there. Are, are you an angry person? Do you have a hasty temper? Self-examination is a good thing. I commend it to you. The Bible commends it to us. But I would not trust your own self-assessment on this matter. So you would do well to ask someone close to you, someone who loves you, someone who sees you, someone who lives life with you, and ask them whether they see symptoms of anger in your own soul. Understand that anger is not always, even the, the, the hot-tempered person does not always express that hot temper with blood-boiling rage and screaming. So Proverbs 12, 16 says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent 
ignores an insult. There's vexation. I had to confess that to a brother just this past week, even as I was meditating upon these verses all week. Because I, because I didn't, I don't, I, people, you, if you know me, right, you would say, like, I don't yell. Other than, other than at 10, from 1040 to 1130 on Sunday mornings, I really don't yell. But that does not mean that I am immune from the temptation and the experience of anger. We can show vexation in some ways that has nothing to do with yelling and screaming. Right? A quiet brooding, low-grade irritation, just a critical, harsh attitude, judgmental thoughts are, are less dramatic brands of anger that also do damage to others and exalt folly. Are you easily bothered? Are you frequently annoyed? Do you give off an air of almost constant exasperation? That people see, they see the eye rolls. They see, I mean, we, we could just take a breath in a way that lets people know what we're thinking, right? Did somebody just do, did somebody just, oh, that was a yawn, that was a yawn, never mind. I thought somebody was giving an example. You know what I mean. <sighs> I haven't opened my mouth, but I'm communicating that you're vexing me. That's not helpful. That's not healing. You need to deal with your anger, beloved. You need to deal with your anger. Uh, parents, I do want to address you for just a minute. If you have kids in the home, I'm no expert on this, but I believe that I have something to say to you. Uh, perhaps today is a pivotal moment for you. Uh, you've been routinely angry with your children. And I, I, I want you to think earnestly and carefully about the damage that you may do and the reality that in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, you might look back on the way you've been living and think what folly I was exalting. What walls I erected with my children because I was an angry person. And not only were you an angry person, but maybe even worse than the angry person, I don't know if this is true, okay, this is off the cuff, is the angry person that never actually confessed that they were angry. Get angry, lash out, raise the voice, and then just go on and live and never actually communicate to your child. What I just did was awful. It was a sin against you, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm not saying that you should not discipline your children. I'm not saying that you should not expect obedience from your children. I'm not saying that you should not admonish your children or rebuke your children. They need that. The book of Proverbs says that when we do not discipline our children, it's like hating them. It's like actually preparing our children for death when we don't discipline them. But let the house be marked by gentleness and patience. No matter how right you are, no matter how bad they might be, no matter how provoked you feel or buttons pushed you think they are doing, they are, they are your buttons, beloved. No matter how you are feeling, no matter how right it may seem, 
anger, the anger of man, our brother James says, I believe that you referred to it in the prayer a few minutes back, the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. The word of God calls us to put the anger to death. It is, it is not of God. It is prideful. It is sinful. It is ungodly. It is damaging. No good will come from it. And, the, and Galatians 5 warns us, those who just persist in it, those who are habitually engaged in fits of anger and unrepentant and just carrying on as if that's okay, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's not only a word, I've been addressing parents, that's not just a word for parents, that's a word for all of us. It is not a small thing, beloved, though we talk about it as if it's just a matter of having our buttons pushed, or we, we talk about losing our temper. Like, like, like we're a pat, like, I just, uh, where did it go? Like, I, I, I don't know, I just happened to have lost my temper. It's not small, and we're not passive, Ultimately, the sin of a hasty temper is an attitude of disdain and resentment towards God. It's the fruit of folly. And we know from Proverbs, I think I've said this before, uh, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, that in Proverbs and throughout the Bible, the language of fool and folly has nothing to do with a person's IQ. It's not about their intelligence level. It has to do with their regard for and their relationship to the Lord. The fool in Proverbs is the one who does not want to submit to God or honor God or recognize the Lord as the Lord. And so please, beloved, do not trivialize your anger away. It is a deeply serious thing. It's an ugly thing. It's an unbelieving thing. It's a thing to be hated and confessed and repented of. If you are an angry person, if you see symptoms and fruit of anger in your life, if you live with a person who is an angry person, get help. I'm not going to yell back at you if you come to me for help, but get help. It's not okay. Get help before you do more damage to yourself and to others because there is great hope for angry people in the Lord. Perhaps this is a word that wounds, but it is a wounding word that is intended to heal if we would bring our anger to the Lord who is slow to anger. Which brings us to our second point, the wisdom of a patient spirit. I wish I could tell you this point is shorter. That didn't land on you. Or it did. <laughs> Whoever is slow to anger, verse 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Slow to anger translates a Hebrew idiom which literally means long in nostrils. The slow to anger person is the long nostriled person, right? From which metaphorically that's where anger, right? You talk about a person with flaming nostrils, right? You understand the, the image, to be slow to anger means that your anger has a long runway. It's got a long fuse. We don't use the, we use this, we use the phrase, uh, he's got a short fuse or a quick-tempered person. We don't really use the word long-tempered. I don't know that we really use the phrase a long fuse, but that's what's being referred to here when, when Proverbs speaks of the person who is slow to anger. It means when an offense comes, it's got a long way to travel before that fuse responds in anger, slow to anger. 
And it's the person who has great understanding who has who is slow to anger. And in Proverbs, that word understanding is used repeatedly in parallel with the idea of wisdom. There, there, I mean, I could give you a dozen rep, uh, references. I'm not going to do it right now. The pers- when it says one who has great understanding, it's talking about the wise person. The wise person is the one who fears the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom, the, the one who fears the Lord is the one who has great understanding. That's the one who is slow to anger. To be slow to anger is a fruit of wisdom. Uh, we're told, in fact, actually it is a glorious thing because it is a godlike quality. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Like, it, it literally makes no sense for someone who knows the Lord to have a short fuse because the whole reason we've come to know the Lord is because he has such a long fuse with us. That's his glory. It's what we were reminded of in our, in our scriptural call to worship in Psalm 145, right? He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is a refrain that is just repeated in the praises of God's people throughout the Old Testament. It roots back in the revelation that the Lord made of himself to Moses at Mount Sinai when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And it says in Exodus 34, 6, there it is, darling, my wife said, if, I'm sorry, I should not. It just started to come out and I can't take it back now. That was hasty. That was a hasty tongue. I need to deal with that. She said to me last night, she said, if you don't mention this verse, I don't think you're a good pastor. <laughs> but, she, but she didn't tell me what verse it was. She just said, there's a verse that if you don't mention it, I don't think you're a good pastor. She didn't say it exactly like that. And it was all in good fun. She's a dear woman. I love her so, 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 so much. She's not happy. Pray for us. Pray for us. Just speak truth into us at the lunch, okay? Um, she didn't tell me what the verse was. I said, is it this verse? She said, yeah, okay, we got it. Because at Sinai, when the Lord said, show me your glory, he said, it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's a wonderful truth about the Lord. He's not trigger happy not ready to fly off the handle at a moment's notice. He is slow to anger. And that's really mind-boggling given the condition of the world that he rules over. I, I came across a quote this week from a Puritan by the name of Samuel Bolton. He said, if, if but any tender-hearted man should sit one hour on the throne of the Almighty and look down upon the earth as God does continually and see what abominations are done in that hour, he would undoubtedly in the next set the whole world on fire. I think he's right. I think he's right about that. But yet God doesn't, though he's had much provocation to do so. Why didn't he just shut the thing down when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, he gave them paradise and one charge, one prohibition. And the serpent deceived them and they rebelled against. Why didn't he just stop it then? Because he's slow to anger. 
Why didn't he shut it down there in Exodus on Mount Sinai when the people of Israel had just been delivered with his mighty hand and outstretched arm and then they made a golden calf and they said, look at, look at the Lord who delivered us. They made a golden calf and they started worshiping it like it was the one that delivered them. Why didn't he destroy them all then? Because he's slow to anger. Why didn't he destroy them in the period of the judges when they went through that wretched cycle of rebellion and idolatry and immorality and then, and then uh, enemies would come in and judge them and rule them and they would cry out to the Lord and in his mercy, he would deliver them and then they would be delivered, they'd have rest and what would happen? They would go right back to the idol. And this went on for generations. Why didn't he just put an end to them? Because he's slow to anger. And this is not just, you know, I'm going to, I love you, so I'm going to pass over about five, five minutes of reading from the book of Nehemiah that I had scheduled to do. But go ahead and read the depiction. Please do. This afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, read the way this is depicted and teased out in Nehemiah chapter 9. How the Lord describes, how, how Nehemiah in prayer on behalf of the people shows the patience of God with his people. And it's not just about the people of Israel, right? But this, the, the story of the people of Israel is our own story, is it not? Of the great patience of God. C consider, would you for a minute or two, what he bears with, uh, with in you and in me. How many things, how many things have you had to relearn in your Christian life? Like, like, how many times has the same Bible verse, which you knew and were convicted of, like, that the fool shows his vexation readily, which I have read at least once a month for the last five years on the 12th of the month, because it's in Proverbs chapter 12, but this week I needed to confess it again. How many times has the same Bible verse produced conviction because you're still not walking up to it? How, how often have you forgotten or perhaps even willfully refused to honor the Lord and give thanks to him, but instead murmured to him about what you've lacked? How often have you left his word to collect dust while spending hours mindlessly surfing the internet? How often have you criticized a Christian brother or sister behind their back in ways that you would be mortified if they ever heard the way you were speaking about it? How often have you grieved the Holy Spirit with words that tear down rather, that, rather than words that build up and give grace? How often have you failed to speak God's word to a, a non-believer for fear that they might think poorly of you? How often have you come to the Lord's table with little or no reverence for the glory of his broken body and his shed blood? How often have you questioned God's goodness and wisdom because of a trial or adversity in your life that you don't presently understand? How often have you indulged in the lusts of your flesh or dwelt on impure thoughts? How often have you been irritated when someone actually tried to just bring you good news of encouragement from God's word and you just didn't really want to hear it? You just wanted to sulk rather than actually be encouraged with the word of God. How often have you coveted? How often have you murdered in your heart? 
harbored and stewed on your anger instead of dealing with it swiftly? How often have you lied? Are you lying to yourself even right now about how much you have lied? How many times have you had to repent of the same sin that you already repented of? I could, just, I could keep, I, you know, I could like keep, we could keep doing that for a while. We would miss lunch. In light of all that, what do you make of it that we're here, that we're alive, that we're in our right minds, that we're here with a hope in God, praising God, rejoicing in our salvation, all the promises of God still being ours, thankful to God for a grace that is greater than all our sin. What do you make of that? What I make of it, what I believe we would make of it if we are spiritually sane is that our God is a God of patience, exceeding, abundant, lavish, unimaginable, spectacular patience. If you're, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, why are you experiencing any good at all? Like, why does anything go well with you ever? Why are you breathing right now? Why are you thinking? Why are you able to understand and actually mentally process the words that I'm saying to you right now? It is only because of the patience of the God, that, uh, uh, of God, the God who exists. It's only because of his patience that you've not yet been consumed in the righteous anger of God that you deserve for your sin against him. And God's word says, don't presume upon the patience. Romans 2 verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? One of the reasons why, you know, I read that quote from Samuel Bolton a few minutes ago. Any, I mean, who wouldn't just blow the whole thing up with all of the sin that's transpired? Do you know why he's not yet done it? He, the Bible does say he's going to do it. His patience, because he's righteous and just, he will bring about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, and he will purge this wicked world of all its corruption and of all of its evil. Do you know why he hasn't yet done it? 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He hasn't shut this, th if you're here, you've not trusted Christ, understand, we are longing for him to come. We want him to come back and make all things new. And, and he's told us, wait, because I got more people to bring to repentance. People like you who are here, who are living in rebellion against God and he's rightly angry that you give him no regard and he's brought you here today to a Christian church to hear good news that God who is rightly angry against sin is a God who is slow to anger and he has love for you so that today you would hear good news of a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent his son who came from heaven to earth to suffer and die on the cross for our great and our many sins against him and he is inviting 
inviting you today. This is how good he is. This is how patient he is. This is how merciful he is. He is today inviting you to turn from your sin and to receive him by faith that he might remove your sins as far as the east is from those. That you might get in on this celebration of our patient God and he invites you to do that today, to receive him today. Do not presume upon tomorrow. That's what Romans 2, 4 specifically says. Do not presume upon the patience. You don't know that you have tomorrow. But today he's brought you here to hear good news of salvation in Christ. Come to him in faith today. Happy to talk with you about that after the service. If you would like to hear more, think more about that, but you can do that right now sitting in your seat. You can turn from your sin. You can receive the mercy and the patience of Christ for yourself right now. And you can join the whole rest of us who are here who can join in with the Apostle Paul saying, I receive mercy. Right. Paul understood himself to be the chief of sinners, right? The foremost of sinners. And we can resonate with that. Can we not, children of God? That Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience, perfect patience, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. And because, because, the apostle, because the apostle said amen, weak church can say amen to that. Amen. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Hallelujah. What a savior. What a miracle it is that he bears with us. I don't just mean the, bear, the, the bearing with us BC, but the ways that we're struggling and stumbling even in Christ. We stumble. We struggle. We're, we're cold. Is it just me? I don't mean you're physically cold right now. I'm a little bit warm right now, but we're cold, we're unfeeling, we're weak, we're downcast, we're fretful, we're anxious, we're harsh, we're vindictive, but he never tosses us aside. He always invites us to come to him in our weariness. Come to me, all you who are weary and burned. He says, I will give you rest. He will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the faintly burning wick because he is the God of patience. And, and one of the ways that we honor, I should stop yelling, something else that my dear wife would tell me after the service, one of the ways that we honor and magnify our great God is by imaging forth that patience in our being patient with each other. By his grace and for his glory, the Holy Spirit is changing and renewing us to be his agents of patience in the world. And it starts right here in the family of God. It's a mighty and majestic and glorious thing, full of nobility that outclasses even world conquerors. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. When you come to know Jesus, we no longer think that our anger against our brother and sister is just too big to overcome. Whether that brother or sister is, is your spouse or a, a fellow church member or 
really anybody, even if it's not a Christian, you know, you, you, can, you can overcome that anger because you have tasted what it's like to have an infinitely greater anger overcome by grace, namely God's anger at you. Which he's actually not just slow to deal, he actually removed that anger. He put that anger on Jesus and it's done. You will never taste a drop of it. And so it's the fruit of the spirit then that we just show our hasty temper the door. We don't have to live with that hasty temper. We, we can be marked in the spirit by a cool spirit. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. We just, we, you get into a, a, a battle, you're starting to go at it with somebody, whatever that looks like for you, that might not be the, that the tone of voices or the, the volume's getting higher, but you're starting to get into it. A cool spirit just says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Dead in sin, following Satan, child of wrath, made alive by grace when we were dead, now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that, that, you? that, that your story? Yeah, that's my story. Is that your story? Yeah, that's my story. Okay, do we, do we even have to talk about this? Like, is this even a thing that we really need to talk about in light of that? Maybe it is. There's stuff that we got to talk about. But that changes how we talk about it. Cool spirit. We're going to have to deal with some junk. And that's what all these calls to patience are telling us, right? We're, we're going to have to deal with sin. We're going to have to deal with irritation. Sometimes people are surprised by this. I saw everything in the church was going to be fine. And now some people are irritating me. And I'm seeing some people sin. And I'm like, what, maybe I should find another church. Well, you could. I mean, maybe you do need to find another church. But you're going to still find sin and irritation in the next church. That's part of our deal. What binds us together, right, you understand, what binds us together is not our sinlessness, but our commitment to cover and be patient with the remaining corruption that we all have. There's more to the Christian life than that, right? We are called to endure one another. We're called to bear with one another in love. Literally, like, put up with each other. That's a biblical command, put up with each other. Praise God, there's more than that. We rejoice with each other, we encourage one another, we build one another up, we eat together, but this is part of the deal in this world. We, we, call, we are called to put up with each other. And as we do that, we look forward to the day that we'll not need to have any more patience ever again. You know, there's a day coming. I have to just point you to it briefly. That there will be no more need for patience. Richard Baxter, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, I think, The Saints Everlasting Rest. Oh, you want to get this book. You want to get this book. Because none of us, there's not a person in this room thinks enough about heaven. He said, Christian, never fear this. Once you are in heaven, you will sin no more. Is this not glad news to you who have prayed, watched, and labored against sin for so long? I know if you had the choice, you would choose to be freed from sin rather than to be made heir of all the world. Well, wait until then, and you will have your desire. That hard heart those vile thoughts that lie down and rise with you, that accompany you to every duty, will now be left behind forever. 
We will no more be oppressed with the power of our corruptions or vexed with their presence. No pride, passion, slothfulness, or senselessness will enter with us. No strangeness to God and to the things of God. No coldness of affections or imperfections in our love. No uneven walking or grieving of the Spirit. We will rest from all these forever. I really want that day to come. Like I'm really, really so ready for that day. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And as we journey there, the Lord has given us some house rules. He's given us some marching orders, if you will, by which we may keep in step with the Spirit. And one of them is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. It's not easy. It's not easy to encourage the faint-hearted. My dear wife can testify to that as well. But looking to the God of patience, awed by his patience, moved by his patience, changed by his patience, delighted in his patience, we can learn by the Spirit's power to bend that patience out towards one another until the whole earth sees the Redeemer has come for he dwells in the presence of his people. Be patient, dear saints. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion unto the day of Christ. Love you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your patience. Help us to become more and more like Jesus. Help us to not see it as burdensome. Help us to see it as a beautiful thing that we get to show each other the, the patience that we've been shown by you. Help us to be increasingly conformed to the likeness of Christ that we might testify even in the midst of this cancel culture of ours, this angry world, this world that is so hasty to judge and condemn and devour and bite May we testify to a patience that is supernatural and that is available to all who would repent and trust in you. We ask for this in Christ's name. Amen.